0: Be
1: and welcome back to the Counted Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Ahan, at Ahan Runcta on Twitter. This is episode nine. Today I have with me Gabriella Starr, founder of Girl at the Game. Thank you so much for being here, Gabriella. How are you doing?
0: I'm good, how are you?
1: Not too bad. It's a little weary outside right now, but it is what it is. It's not like I'm gonna go outside anyway, but yeah, we'll deal with it.
0: Pretty disgusting here.
1: Yeah, I'm just curious. So you, So you have been on social media all the time and keep helping keep me entertained, helping keep Red Sox fans entertained. What is going on with you during quarantine now that baseball is not around? What are you doing to entertain yourself?
0: Well, I'm not going to lie. There are some days that I am just absolutely bored out of my skull and you would think that with all of this free time, it's like you can, you'd say to yourself, oh, totally. I'm going to watch a million old baseball games and that'll keep me entertained. But the minute you can't have something, you know, it's all you want. So the fact that we don't have like current sports right now, all I want is current sports. Like I have no interest during regular baseball season in normal times, I'm like, oh, I wish I had time to go back and watch the 1946 World Series. Right. But because I can't watch, you know, 2020 Red Sox as much as they're probably they probably would have been an absolute disaster. All I want is 2020 Red Sox.
1: Yeah. And the same for me, really, like after sports got canceled, I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing other things that are not sports and that'll get me through it. Started becoming interested in the Masked Singer, had no interest in it earlier. And then as I was watching the mass Singer, Gronk got unmasked and I was like, I need sports even, even more than ever. Um, yeah,
0: I, I realized that when I was watching the NBA horse competition <laughs> last week and exactly. I was like, wow, I'm really sitting here watching terrible audio visual quality. And I'm like, I'm going to keep watching it because I have
1: nothing else to do. Yeah, exactly. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your new podcast. But before that, you're uh, the founder of Girl at the Game, a website for everything sports written by women. So I I just wanted to ask you a little bit about how you got started with that, um, the mission of the website, everything that went into it. And uh, just talk a little bit about the journey till now of how it's become so successful.
0: For sure. Thank you. Um, Girl at the Game started as a hobby, honestly. I was working at a tech startup in Boston doing marketing and I was doing freelance beauty and lifestyle writing because I was kind of amateur blogging at the time and it turned into like a great freelancing opportunity to write about things like skincare and health and wellness, which I do enjoy a lot, but I wasn't really feeling I felt like I was kind of missing like a puzzle piece. Like I had everything else that was great, but there was just something missing. And then on opening day, 2017, I went to open, it was my first time going to opening day and it was the first opening day without David Ortiz. And for whatever reason, I just was really feeling a lot of emotions and I couldn't think of any other way. I couldn't think of a way to properly express them. So I sat down and wrote something and sent it to my friend who and mentor who is very high up in the Red Sox organization. And he wrote back and he goes, well, you're a sports writer now. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's, that's insane. And he goes, no, you're a sports writer. That's like you, this is what you were meant to do. And I kind of brushed it off. um, But I would, I would occasionally like write something and send it over to him just to kind of get my feelings out. And a couple months later on a whim, I was, like I think I'll build a website where I can write about this stuff just for fun and talk about how much I miss David Ortiz and how frustrating John Farrell is. Yep. And very quickly it became this thing like, I never thought it would be and then I realized, you know, young women started coming like messaging me on Instagram and Twitter and being like you're really inspiring, we really look up to you, we want to write like you um and I never expected that and I'm so honored and flattered that girls say such nice things to me and that fathers of daughters also will occasionally send me really nice messages being like, I show your stuff to my kids. Um, And I realized that I ended up inadvertently having this huge responsibility to these people that to continue making my voice heard in the sports world. And so Girl at the Game went from becoming like a very personal blog where I would, you know, talk about how much I cried when Johnny Pesky died to talking about important issues in sports like domestic violence and drug addiction and the injustices of being a minor leaguer. And I don't take any of that lightly. I really feel the brevity of the responsibility of the writing that I'm doing and the voice and platform that I've built, um, even if it came out of you know, a totally accidental situation.
1: For sure. It's definitely inspiring for me and I'm, I'm not even a girl, but it's definitely inspiring for me as a sports writer myself, um, aspiring at least um, it's inspiring for me to see how many people you're affecting, not just girls, but everybody, everybody in Red Sox nation. So I really appreciate the effort you put into that. And speaking of which uh, you started a podcast recently for girl at the game with Alexandra Francisco from Nessun. So could you talk a little bit about uh, what you expect from the podcast, what we should expect, um, and why Why now?
0: Of course. And first of all, I just have to say, you know, just because it's an, a website that's, you know, quote unquote, inspiring women, um, we're here for everyone. So thank you. I'm glad that I've, you know, inspired you in any way or, you know, helped helped you along your journey or just given you a good read once in a while, it is sports by women for everyone. So I, th- I think a lot of people kind of take the misconception of, oh, it's only for girls and, you know, it's not for boys. But that's, that's the exact opposite of the mission is it's sports by women, but it's sports for everyone because sports should be for everyone.
1: Right.
0: Um, and so the podcast is something I've wanted to do for a long time. And people would always, you know, respond to things on Twitter and be like, when are you starting a podcast? And I, one of my many jobs in the sports world is I host the Locked On Red Sox podcast. And I love doing that. I, it's Especially now, it's a great way to get creative um, because there are no Red Sox games, so I get to deep dive into Red Sox history. But it's strictly Red Sox, and that's hard for me because I'm somebody who finds connections between different things, and so I have to stop myself from going off into into tangents. Like, for example, yesterday I ended up talking about the NBA for two minutes on the latest episode of Locked on Red Sox. And their episodes are only like 15 to 20 minutes long. So I'm taking up a considerable amount of time going off on these tangents. And Girl at the Game is a different podcast altogether. The episodes are going to be about 45 minutes long, maybe an hour, depending on if we have a really superstar guest. Um, But it's a podcast talking about all sports and talking about anything from funny things that happened in sports to important social issues and social justice issues like domestic violence in sports sexism as a woman in sports media we're not ta- like no topic is off limits and so depending on the episode you're really going to get kind of like the Forrest Gump box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get. Some episodes are going to be really intense and we're going to talk about hard topics. And then other episodes are just going to be me and Al kind of, you know, laughing and having a good conversation the way that you talk about sports with your friends.
1: Right. Yeah. And I just want to say a little unrelated, but in the intro for the introduction to the Girl of the Game podcast, you had a clip of Cam Newton saying, um, it's, (laughs) it's funny hearing female talk about routes. And that just gave me a reminder of one of the several reasons I don't want Cam Newton on the Patriots. So I appreciate that.
0: Oh yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned that because um, we were talking when we, when Al and I first decided to do this podcast together, one one of the things that we bonded over was men saying crazy things like that. Right, And we were talking about kind of having an intro that, Featured crazy sound bites like that, but then we realized, you know, we don't want it to be a podcast where it just seems like we're women reacting to how men treat us in sports. And so that intro, if you haven't heard, if your listeners haven't heard it yet, it's only going to be, it's only in that teaser trailer that dropped yesterday. Mm -hmm. The rest of the time, that's not going to be our intro because. It was originally something that we thought about having every episode, but then we were like, why should we give Cam Newton's ass-hattery a platform like that? Right. This is our show, not his. So we just wanted to do something kind of cheeky for the for the trailer. And obviously, that'll be up there on the show on Spotify and Apple and all of those places that'll always be up there as the trailer. But that's a one-time deal because Cam Newton should not be on the Patriots and he is not going to be part of Girl at the Game.
1: Completely agree. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good one to pick, though, because it's a few seconds and definitely good for a teaser and kind of expresses all the things that you that you would not like to see anybody say, not just men or not just females. You wouldn't like it going the other way either. Just, it encompasses everything. So um, I felt that a little bit. And speaking of podcasts, you mentioned you're also the host of the Locked On Red Sox Daily Podcast. Uh, so as a podcaster myself, you're on one right now what have been some of the things you've learned slash enjoyed um, about being a podcast host? What has the experience been like, um, especially with Ty Kelly on Ty Tuesdays?
0: Oh, I love Ty Tuesdays. Um, Locked on Red Sox was really my first foray into being a podcast host. Um, I've been on quite a few, I've been honored enough to be on quite a few podcasts as a guest and to be on Brad Faux show on WEEI a few times as kind of his like, you know, partner for these crazy rants that we go on, but I had never done my own show. And it was really kind of a throwing myself into the deep end learning experience because Locked On is an amazing podcast network, but you are in charge of coming up with all your own content, recording your shows. You, you are the captain of your ship and you're also the first mate and the cook and everything. So it was really great in terms of getting out of my comfort zone of becoming a podcast host and also preparing me to launch girl at the game because girl at the game was something I wanted to do for a really long time. And it was kind of one of those things where I would prepare and prepare and prepare. And eventually I just was like, I have to throw myself in the deep end and I was scared to do that. And getting the job with locked on really helped me prove to myself that I could do that. And they're obviously very different because locked on in normal times, locked on is five episodes a week for 15 to 20 minutes. But obviously due to the fact that there's no sports, we are all doing three episodes a week now. And it's, it's definitely a challenge some days to kind of get creative with it just because as much as I would definitely be complaining about the Red Sox pitching situation right now, that at least at least I would have games to watch that would give me easier content, and only being the host of Locked On since February, now i'm I very quickly I went from like barely having a spring training to cover to having Chris Sale having Tommy John and then just basically mining the depths of Red Sox franchise history for things to talk about, because there's only so many ways I can say that there's no
1: sports right now. right. And I can definitely imagine i'm I have the opportunity of having people like you on the podcast, which is so great. But if I was captaining a podcast where I didn't have too many guests on and I would have to come up with new content every day for sports, i get that would just be the saddest thing ever. Like, hey, what did what did we see in sports today? I think there was a cool spike ball tournament at USC, so it's definitely tough. Uh, but speaking of every day, Has the Lockdown Red Sox podcast being that frequent, um, as you said, used to be every day, now three times a week, did that sort of help you sort of get in the groove and become comfortable with podcasting? Because if I were doing a podcast every day, that would definitely help me. Like, I'm trying to get better right now. I just started, and it's definitely much easier for me now than it was two weeks ago. So I can imagine if it was every day, it would definitely help me.
0: I mean, you're doing great. These questions have been awesome. So you're you're already more comfortable. You're, you're already more comfortable than I was at first. I was, I had some serious stage fright. And I remember the day that I recorded the teaser for locked on Red Sox, I was sitting in this room and I would record it and I would stop myself after saying the first few words. And I would just be like, wow, I suck. And I was really hard on myself. And the thing is like eventually I just kind of was like, all right, it's like 7 PM. I just need to grit my teeth and be like, do it. Right. And I did it. And I think it's, I think so much of podcasting and honestly, most things, trying most things for the first time in life is just starting. There is so much work that goes into just starting something, just being brave enough to start something new and, locked on was really that thing where I, it's hard to do it by yourself. And there have been people who are like, you need a co-host. And it's like, well, first of all, I don't, I can talk about the Red Sox for more than 15 minutes, very compellingly without a co-host. For me, the problem is stopping myself from talking about the Red Sox too much, but it's been a very great learning experience in terms of just being brave and trying something new because you can't you know you have people listening to you talk right. and you you can't let them down people are counting on you for content and i'm happy to provide i'm just trying to do something to keep people entertained and it also keeps me entertained coming up with what to talk about every single week
1: mm-hmm. and uh so now i want to get into the exciting stuff now i say exciting stuff but The most exciting baseball thing that's happening so far is Rob Manford coming up with a new plan for the season every day.
0: I was going to say, there was exciting stuff. I did not hear (laughs) about anything exciting lately. Um, uh, Where have I been?
1: But I guess let's just talk about baseball a little bit and where it's at right now. Now, the timing is convenient because I recently started a series on this podcast uh, called Team Focus Specials, and we just had a Yankees special to start because it just worked out. So we're going to turn this into a little Red Sox special for the rest of the time because... We need to bury that Yankee special a little bit. Boo. So we'll just talk a little bit Red Sox. But before that, just general baseball stuff. I know we all want to talk about the Astros. I don't want to dwell on it too much. But the Astros did have some obvious implications on the Red Sox. First of all, uh, Alex Cora being fired and also uh, the 2018 team being investigated. I just want to hear some initial thoughts on this because most of the listeners – on this podcast have heard my thoughts on it, but it's always just like, well, Ahan is here again, just being very enthusiastic about yeah, about Rob Manford hate, about Red Sox love. So I, I just wanna hear another perspective from you. Is Alex Cora gonna come back? What is gonna happen with the 2018 team? Why is the investigation taking five million years? So what are your thoughts on those? So I go back and forth. Um,
0: I'll start with, I guess, the investigation part. The annoying thing about the investigation to me is that because the Astros investigation was so clearly bungled, I think that the MLB doubled down on the Red Sox investigation because they didn't want to mess up twice. And so, yet again, somebody other than than the Astros is feeling the fallout of the Astros cheating. Like if you think about it, basically not basically none of the punishments or act or the actions stemming from the Astros cheating have actually adversely affected the Astros aside from Lunao and Hinch getting fired, even though that was Crane's choice to fire them, obviously. And ironically, if he hadn't fired them, he might not have had to do anything at all because there was no – there might not be any baseball this season at all, or there might be a very small amount of baseball. So – and as we know now, Manfred has said that even if there's no baseball in 2020 – Lunao and Hinch's suspensions will still be considered complete after this year. So Crane could have just kept them and then not had to do all of this, you know, internal hiring and firing to reset his entire infrastructure. So that's annoying. Um, And so for the Red Sox investigation, you know, for them to do such a thorough job, which obviously like, I can't sound like too much of, of a Homer and be like, oh, you're, you need to investigate other teams, but you shouldn't investigate the Red Sox. Like if the Red Sox cheated, they should be investigated. They should be punished. But don't drag out their punishment just because you did a bad job on someone else's punishment. Right. Do the a right amount of due diligence and then publish the findings of your investigation on a t- in a timely manner. And then be done with it. Like the Astros players didn't have to come into spring training with their investigation hanging over their heads. And the Red Sox players have still had this hanging over their heads for like four months now. And that's ridiculous. Right. And as for Cora, you know, I go back and forth because on the one hand he was so connected with his Red Sox players and he was so beloved and, you know, he was our manager and he was supposed to be here for a long time. Like he was supposed to be the manager that's here for like, you know, 20 years. The Red Sox have had five managers since 2004 now, I guess. Yep. Yeah, like four maybe I'm including Grady Little in this, but since since Grady Little, they've had Little, Tito, Bobby Valentine. Um
1: <laughs> I remember twenty twelve.
0: God unfortunately. Uh, John Farrell and and Cora. And Cora was supposed to be the guy that kind of broke that, you know, bad habit of us running managers out of town. And he was supposed to be like our guy. And so it really hurt to find all this stuff out. Cause you're like, how could you do this to us? You know, you feel Red Sox fans, you feel it on a, on a deeply personal, like super emotional level. It feels like you are betrayed by a loved one. And, but on the other hand, you're like, well, if he was cheating with both of these teams, was he a good manager? No, because if he's cheating with his teams, he's not actually teaching his players to be better, coaching them and managing them to be better players, finding what makes them special and what makes them successful. He's giving them shortcuts and showing that he doesn't actually believe in hard work and believe in his own team enough that they can get there on their own. And so I've that's something I really have been grappling with in terms of, well, was he a good manager? Because a good manager doesn't cheat. Right. And then, yeah. you know, of course the massive perspective shift of being in this coronavirus time is, you know, on the one hand, things in baseball are a microcosm of our society in terms of like, well, the lessons that you learn in baseball, even from Little League of being a good teammate, being a good person, being a, a sportsman-like, you know, player, a, 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 not being a sore loser, those are actually things that translate very importantly into life lessons for being a good human being. Exactly. And And yet, being in this time with coronavirus – it has been kind of a reset of like our priorities of like well the astros cheated and they're scummy but people are dying and our healthcare system is a mess and our country's a mess and like does this stuff it it obviously matters but how much does it matter right and that's something i've been thinking about a lot and part of me kind of just wants to red talk am i allowed to swear on this podcast go go for it okay Part of me wants the Red Sox to just be like, fuck it. We're bringing Cora back. We don't care what you think. You want us to be the villain, whatever. Like, we don't care. He's our manager. And part of me is like, no, all of this is still wrong. And as much as this time has made me, like, I'm not one of those people who feels the need to uh, contact exes during coronavirus because I'm Mm -hmm. in a very happy relationship. But I have a lot of friends who are like, I've reached the point where I'm texting (laughs) my ex-boyfriend. And that's kind of how I feel about Cora where like, we've been in quarantine long enough that like, we're all like, we don't care that Cora hurt us. We just miss him so much. Like people on, on Twitter are definitely at that point with Cora. And it's like, I just keep going back and forth of like, well, do we want him back? Do we not want him back? Like, I don't know. I, yeah. I go back and forth every single time I see him tweet. Cause I still have tweet notifications on for our manager.
1: And when this whole thing started, I was immediately on the train like, even if he did nothing here, he should not be in the clubhouse just because of that vibe. And I was on that train initially, but ever since the quarantine, I've just been like, maybe, maybe I don't want Alex Cora back in my life. So I definitely feel that. And I wrote an article um, last year titled, Keep Alex Cora in Boston Forever, and that did not age very well. So I feel that when you said Alex Cora was supposed to be here 20 years, I completely agree with that. But here we are. And that sort of caused some of the pain for me about the investigation length. It's just like, can we just get over with it? And that's mainly why. I agree they should do a thorough investigation on it. But just the mix of having to wait for it through the quarantine and having to realize that the Yankees are not getting investigated even though they could have possibly done exactly the same thing, if not worse.
0: It's pretty confirmed that they did. I mean, just to, you know, jump in for a second, like the guy who wrote those athletic articles is a friend of mine, Evandrelic. And the thing that frustrated me is, you know, as we both know, the athletic is a subscription only site. I mean, they've unlocked a lot of content during this time, but in general, they're subscription only. So when people tweet out their articles, you know, you're only seeing the headline and a little bit of an excerpt and that article about the Red Sox was heavily weighted to make it seem and frame like it's only the Red Sox who are doing this. When you read that article and the Yankees are mentioned 70 plus times and you have quotes from multiple American league executives and players around the league being like, Oh yeah, our teams do this. it's like, well, yeah, but people don't read the athletic because they can't afford it or they don't want to pay for it, whatever. But you're purposely misrepresenting the facts and as the daughter of a lawyer, I find that very frustrating because it's not the reality of the situation. The your, the reality of the situation is that the Houston Astros did something on a completely different level than what these teams are doing. Yeah. And the second reality is that the Red Sox, along with multiple other teams, were doing something else.
1: Yeah. And I'm happy the listeners of this podcast got to hear it from somebody other than me because... Um, that's been the most frustrating part to me. It's the title says Astros and Red Sox. The article says the Astros, the Astros, the Astros. And oh, by the way, the Red Sox and Yankees may have also done this and this, which are completely different. And the Yankees, oh, by the way, have a history of being the starters of the whole Apple Watch thing. So that's just very frustrating to me.
0: Yeah, it's very frustrating. And it's also just, you know, people people want to create villains and the Yankees have been the villains of baseball for a very long time. And that narrative's kind of worn out a little bit because they, they haven't been winning very much. They haven't won in 10 years. (laughs) So sad for them. (laughs) Um, Horrible, really feel for them. They really have suffered a lot with their 26 rings and pocket watch. Um, But, you know, trying to shape the Red Sox, trying to lump the Red Sox in with the Astros is factually wrong. And also trying to make the Red Sox out to be the new villains just because they're the most successful franchise in the last 15 years is unfair. Right. You, they're really, I mean, we can't use the, the witch hunt term anymore because it's too tied with Trump. But, <laughs> <laughs> But when you have players and executives around the league coming out and openly saying, oh, multiple teams do this. And then you're only investigating the Red Sox. Well, first of all, you look like a clown. And second of all, you're not going to eliminate cheating because if teams outwardly know that people know that they're pulling this exact same stuff, but only the Red Sox are going to get looked at, they're going to keep doing it. So you're exactly. not actually solving anything because the only way to solve this, in my opinion, is to just eliminate the video replay rooms altogether or station an MLB person in each of those rooms, the way that there was somebody in those rooms during the 20 to 18
1: mm yeah, exactly. So uh, on a little bit of a lighter note, I want to talk about some of the things we want, we should be looking forward to for the Red Sox when the season does resume. And I was jokingly saying a couple months ago that the way the investigation is going, the investigation might not be over when the Red Sox win their next World Series. But at, at this point, I feel like that we might actually be true. <laughs> that that <laughs> might actually some, be true. We have some
0: time. Well, we have time because, A, this investigation apparently takes eight years to type one letter of each word that Manfred has come up with. And also because the Red Sox are in such dire situations player-wise that we might not have a World Series for another 86 years. God forbid.
1: Um, And then we can make fun of everybody else's droughts instead of our own. Oh, God. uh, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so on a little bit of a lighter note, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the future of the Red Sox. Now, of course, the sale situation is not looking great. But I want to talk about some of the young stars we have. Uh, Xander Bogarts we know is going to be here for a while. If you want, we can talk a little Mookie. But I, I'm not I'm not sure how much you want to talk about Mookie. But I will say, he is a free agent after this year, whether or not the season happens. Is he coming he is back?
0: A, he is a free agent. Um, but I have to say, the way that Fenway Sports Group has been handling this pandemic in terms of the Liverpool situation with, um, I don't know if you have been keeping tabs on that or, at all, but you know, Fenway Sports Group owns Liverpool as well as the Red Sox, and right. they were going to furlough all of their like non-soccer employees or like basically they were going to furlough everyone. And there was such a public outcry and public shaming that they reversed that decision. And they were literally shamed into not doing something super terrible. Yep. Once you realize that you can make money without spending a lot of money, it's hard to foresee them going back to spending a lot of money. And I, I think that's disgusting because they are, the Fenway Sports Group is valued at like seven almost seven billion dollars, and the the Red Sox are valued at over three billion dollars, and their ballpark is sold out pretty frequently. It's really gross that not only are they raising ticket prices, but they also didn't pay Mookie when they could totally afford to pay Mookie. And but the people that I feel the most bad for are Dodgers fans because in a weird twist, you know, we all hated the Mookie trade because we thought we got nothing in return. And I I still don't think it was a good trade from an actual like player-to-player standpoint. But if they end up having this year of Mookie and David Price and they don't get any baseball out of it, and then Mookie doesn't stay with the Dodgers, the Red Sox will, in a very twisted way, have won this trade. And that is insane.
1: Yeah, and I'm of the belief that the Dodgers are going to do whatever it takes to re-sign Mookie. But the hypothetical that that doesn't happen, which there's a still there's still a good chance that that doesn't happen, just that is a little exciting to think about. Considering we got Jeter Downs and Alex Verdugo with upsides that are not pro- are probably not Mookie bets, but they're pretty good. And it, just to think about the fact that Mookie bets might never play a major league game for the Dodgers is exciting to think about especially given the excitement level we have in sports right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is like a a small part of me that kind of wants us to pay Mookie and bring back Cora and Brock hole and just be like, you know, 2021 opening day, we have Mookie, we have Cora, David Ortiz is our hitting coach. (laughs) And Pedroia is like our, you know, bench coach or whatever. And it's kind of like all of this year in 2019 just never happened you know when we have a healthy Chris sale and none of and like this was all some really bad really long nightmare Mm -hmm. and like 2021 everything's kind of back to normal because it just you know seeing Mookie in a Dodger uniform see it just feels wrong and Cora not being our manager just feels weird like everything feels so foreign and upside down and I'm kind of like part of me is kind of like maybe we come out of this and we're like no, no, we need, our, we need our guys back together. We need to get the band back together. And opening day 2021, everything's just as it should be at Fenway Park. Right.
1: All right. So before we finish up, I just want to get into a quick lightning round, Red Sox themed. So I'll just ask you a few quick questions and you'll just give me the first thing that pops to your head. Let's do it. All right. So your personal favorite Red Sox moment, maybe an underrated moment that not too many people talk about.
0: Ooh, okay. Um, Brock Holt hitting for the cycle because he came overcame a lot of injuries and a lot of mental health issues that stemmed from those injuries to become a healthy player again. And he made very underrated impacts on the team over the last few years, where you know he would be the guy that would get on base to start like a nine-run rally against the White Sox, or he was the first guy to get that hit. In Game Three of the ALDS in 2018, that started that becoming the first player to hit for the cycle and right. all of that kind of stuff. And he's just one of those guys that will do anything to help his team succeed. He'll play any position. He'll do literally anything it can. And I wish he was still on the team. So that's that's got to be probably my underrated moment.
1: That's a good one. Not too many people talk about what Brock Holt had to overcome to get to that point. Uh, if you could pick one guest writer in sports who hasn't yet for Girl at the Game, who would it be?
0: Um, oh, man, there are so many.
1: Could be an athlete just doing, like, a guest article like the Players' Tribune.
0: Oh, well, then um, Sabrina Sabrina Ionescu, uh, who just got drafted first in the WNBA draft last night for the, for the Liberty, um, just because she is so incredible, so talented, and um, hearing about everything that she's gone through, especially in the past few months with first losing her mentor, Kobe, and then not being able to finish out her senior year season with Oregon. Um, I saw her play against UConn a few months ago, and they were so good. And UConn women basketball is amazing too. And I think this was like the first home game that they lost in like a ridiculous amount of years. Right. And they lost to Sabrina and the Ducks. So
1: that would be really her.
0: She's definitely on the girl at the game,
1: like dream guest list. Got it. I'll look out for it. And when it happens, I'm going to be cheering. If you could put one Red Sox player of the past that is not talked about necessarily as much as your Ortiz or your Pedro's on the current Red Sox, you, you take one of those past players and you put them on the current Red Sox, who would it be?
0: Oh, man. There are so many that's (laughs) I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to say Johnny Pesky just because I've been thinking about him a lot today. Um, He played for the Red Sox and worked for the Red Sox in a variety of roles for like 61 of his 70 plus years in baseball. Mm -hmm. And when Ted Williams was uh, managing the senators, he even tried to poach Pesky away to be his bench coach. And Pesky was like, I won't abandon the Red Sox. Um, and he was such an in, important and like special part of this team's fabric and he got blamed for them losing the 1946 World Series he was kind of the curse of the Bambinos scapegoat of the decade for that one and until kind of bill buckner came along and screwed up again people in boston were so hard on johnny pesky blaming him for the whole situation right. with eno slaughter and when the Red Sox won the world series in 2004 um, a friend of mine who was with Johnny Pesky in the room when, when they won it in the clubhouse said that he saw decades of like pain and suffering erased in that moment. And he said that he looked like a new man. And I, I just, I wish that Johnny Pesky got to play on one of those teams that was that that actually got to win. Like he got a world series ring. He was with the team in 04, 07, 13, uh not 13, but 04 and 0407 mm-hmm. um, before passing away in 2012. And, but I wish that he got to actually experience that as a player.
1: Mr. Red Sox on the current Red Sox. I like that. Yeah. And finally, some, I'm going to try to get a prediction out of you. So when the season occurs, whether it be this year or next year, your biggest pleasant surprise player for the Red Sox.
0: Oh, um, well, I don't think it counts as a surprise to say that I think that Rafael Devers will continue to be even more incredible than he was last year. Um, but
1: MVP I, votes for Rafael Devers, yeah. Maybe.
0: Well, he got a lot of them this. He got yeah. a fair amount for uh, twenty nineteen. Right. It's one of the only good things you could say about 2019 was it was the year of Xander and, and Rafi. Um, I think, I think Michael Chavis will become an even more comfortable infielder and kind of figure out the big league at bats so that he doesn't strike out as much. And I think he'll really develop into a really solid defensive player and a really strong offensive like bat because we've seen him hit for power. He hit some of the furthest and hardest hit home runs on the team last year, but he also had the most strikeouts of anyone on the team and he didn't join them until like the end of April. So I think, but I, you know, he's new and he's young and he had the same unfortunate situation as Devers where the Sox needed power So they called up a guy from AAA who wasn't quite ready yet because that's exactly what happened with Rafi in 2017 um, because, you know, they didn't have David Ortiz and they didn't have JD Martinez yet. So they just were like, we need this guy, call up someone who can hit. And so they called up Rafi and he, his defense was terrible because he wasn't, he wasn't ready. Right. And I, and the same thing happened with Chavis last year. And, but I think that he, he's shown us that he's a really quick learner and he's immensely talented. And I think that, he will continue
1: to develop into a
0: very strong component of this team.
1: Cool. All right. Thank you so much for being here. I just want to ask, do you have any final words for everybody listening? You already gave us some inspiration at the beginning, but any final words for anybody who has aspirations of being in sports and uh, you've influenced a lot of people such as myself to be in sports, but any final words of wisdom before you leave?
0: Well, first of all, thank you. Um, the only thing I can say is uh, try to say yes to as many opportunities as possible because you never know where they're going to take you. Just, you know, and reach out to people, be be an advocate for yourself, be super polite and gracious and just work your butt off um, and do the best that you can every single day because there are so many people who want to be in this industry and everyone is working really hard, but you know the, the only person who can represent you is yourself. So you need to be a strong advocate for yourself and you need to be kind to people.
1: Gabrielle, thank you so much for being on Red Sox special number one. I hope you can come back on the podcast at some point in the future. But for I now, would
0: absolutely s- love to.
1: Thank you. And for now, just stay safe, uh, you and your family and everybody else that you know. Tell them to stay safe. Um, Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. It was my
0: pleasure. Thank you for having me.